Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. I'm so glad that you are here to talk with me today and answer some really pressing questions and talk about this really important topic. So I want to jump right in. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure, I'm Christopher Fries. I'm a professor of health management and policy and the Elizabeth Tone Hosmer Professor of Nursing at the University of Michigan. And in what areas does your research focus? I primarily focus my research on two broad areas. The first is as an oncology nurse, I focus on how to measure and improve the quality of cancer care that's delivered to adults, primarily patients who are getting chemotherapy and other treatments like that. And then more broadly, I'm really interested in understanding and also improving how we deliver nursing care uh, to a variety of patients, patients who need really complicated nursing care in a variety of settings, but primarily I focus in hospitals. You were recently featured in a Detroit Free Press article that provided an inside look at some of the exhaustion that nurses have been experiencing due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you describe some of those challenges that nurses have faced throughout these past two plus years? Sure. So the first thing uh, to know is that nurses have actually had strain and stress before the pandemic. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But I want to remind everyone that things for nurses have been difficult for some time. And what we have learned through this pandemic is it's really exposed the fault lines of where we see the problems. But what it's really done is widened the cracks of existing problems in the system. But certainly what we've seen over the last two years, what nurses have told us in survey research that we've led at the University of Michigan and elsewhere is that they've been concerned that they haven't been adequately protected against the coronavirus, particularly early on as we were learning information. Number two is our healthcare system was not adequately prepared for the onslaught of very, very sick patients in very short spurts of time. So it really strained our healthcare systems uh, to the breaking point. And the challenge for nurses is they had nowhere to go. They had to show up, they had to stay on the job and really have had very little relief. I think the third piece is that we've seen potentially an inattention to both the physical and mental health of healthcare workers and in particular nurses. So nurses have told us that they've had to scramble to get either the physical health they need or the emotional mental health that they need. And it's come far too late for them. So I think those are the three unique factors that, that we're dealing with, uh, as well as a very challenging environment for healthcare delivery in general, even though as we speak, COVID cases are down in Michigan and elsewhere, the strain on our healthcare system continues because patients have been backlogged in seeking care for, for other things. So. Uh, there's this, there's still a notable strain for nurses, even in an era right now as we speak of a lower uh, number of COVID cases across the country. You were recently featured in another article, uh, this one from Michigan News, that focused on suicide risk among female nurses. 
And you shared that there were a few key issues that you were really worried about with today's workplace. Can you elaborate a little bit and tell us about those issues? So I think at first, as we talk about self-harm and suicide, it's important for readers to know that they're not alone. And after this uh, podcast, we'll have some resources for folks who might need help. And this can be a difficult subject. But it's a really sobering look at what we have seen for registered nurses in the country. Uh, And the data go all the way through 2017. So the final results are right before the pandemic hit. And what we saw is relative to the U.S. population, that female nurses were over twice as likely to die by suicide than the U.S. female population. Uh, And that is statistically significant. It's a notable change. And what's also concerning about that is it was on the rise. It was a steady increase over the time period that we had studied. And then when we looked at some of the contributing factors that were collected in in the sample, Some of the things that we saw were a combination of personal home stressors and then workplace stressors. And we didn't see that in other occupational groups. We looked at physicians, we looked at the general population. And so one of the things we're particularly worried about is that nurses might really be squeezed from both their workplace and their home life in terms of stressors, whether that be in the workplace, unsafe staffing, unreasonable patient loads, not feeling supported by their employer, variety of things. And then in the home situation, they might be dealing with caregiving for spouses, for children, for older parents, increasingly older adults and relatives, uh, managing household challenges during um, economic crises. Remember the data were pre-pandemic when we had more economic crises. So all of these things are coming to play for nurses. And what we don't really see are targeted supports for nurses on how to balance these matters. And so that leads us to think that we really need very specific outreach and support strategies for nurses because their profile looks very different than what we see in the US population and even in other healthcare workers. So it looks different And we don't have a good understanding of why that's happening. Can you provide insight about the stigma that occurs in the workplace regarding the mental health of nurses and other healthcare professionals? So what we've known is that healthcare workers in general are less likely to access mental health resources. And we think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, there's a stigma of being a healthcare professional and needing to seek care yourself. Secondly, there's a real concern that those concerns may not be handled confidentially slash anonymously so that people are afraid that their employer will find out about their uh, needs and or the licensing board. And in some states, there still remains this very old archaic language that you have to attest that your quote of sound mind and character and judgment. And these terms are dated and very vague, but they're still there. And we certainly see that some states take punitive actions when uh, a healthcare worker or a a nurse in particular uh, has a challenge. So there's legitimate concern at at the employer level, at the board level. And then again, we don't make these services relatively easy 
and accessible for nurses to use. Many nurses work off shifts. They work 12-hour shifts. It's very difficult for them to find the time and space to do this. So we haven't really set up a mental health system where we are screening ahead of time before problems occur, that we're offering referrals to confidential, easy to access services. And then we also are missing sort of a peer-to-peer -peer influence. What we know from the mental health literature is often a peer-to-peer -peer group can be very, very powerful. We have these for physicians. We don't have them for nurses in general. We have a few models, not very many. So those are just a couple of challenges that nurses face when they try to seek healthcare services. Is there anything that can be done um, by employers or to reduce the stigma or anything that community, any way that people can be more supportive or try and be more helpful for the nurses in their lives at least? I think it's a really good question of how do we best support nurses in the workplace. And, and the first thing is to take a careful look at the workplace and make sure we've reduced the stressors we can. Have, do we make it easy for nurses to deliver great care wherever they work. So start there, number one. Number two is we do have a model at the University of California, San Diego, uh, that is called the HEAR program, which takes a physician model of screening and assessment and referral and now has adapted it for nurses and they have great results. The problem is they're one program in one area of California. We really need to test and scale and spread that. I'm excited that the Lorna Breen Act was just signed into law by the president, which authorizes a substantial amount of money for very specific healthcare worker training resources and programs. And so what I hope will come from that legislation is really focus programs that make it easy and accessible for nurses. They probably need to be in the bubble of the employer, but they should really not be based in the employer in the workplace. They should be, if you will, adjacent, easy to reach but outside of the formal healthcare system that the nurse or healthcare worker may work in. I think the final thing that I think is really missing here is re real research specifically on nurses' mental health conditions. This has not been a topic that the National Institutes of Health has been particularly interested in or other funders. And we have 4 million nurses in the United States. A substantial number of them are delivering care to our loved ones and are under considerable strain. And what I think we can learn from that are if we established a registry or had robust research in this area, we might really help identify those risk factors that put someone at risk and we can intervene earlier. You recently co-authored a paper with your colleague, Dr. Dina Costa, Associate Professor of Nursing, titled Policy Strategies for Addressing Current Threats to the U.S. Nursing Workforce. Can you expand on those key messages? Sure, so this was interesting work. Uh, how it came to be is a policymaker had reached out to a colleague at the university and wanted to really understand what were the possible policy strategies to help nurses in this crisis. They really wanted some solutions and they really wanted an sort of unbiased view. What, what were the possible policy levers available both at the state and federal level? So we had put that together for this uh, representative. And then we thought, well, why not share it with our community? Because it's been hard for us to have a substantive policy discussion about what nurses need. Historically, it's been this specific bill or that specific bill. So what we tried to do here is lay out 
what we see are the two key problems. One is we have nurses leaving the workforce too soon, number one. Number two, we are concerned that there may not be an adequate pipeline and easy supply into the field. We're starting to see some evidence that early graduates, the youngest nurses in our field are leaving faster than our oldest graduates, our oldest nurses. So that's an alarming trend that we need to fix. So we need to both keep nurses working and we need to bring more people into nursing. So that's, those are the two problems. And then the two opportunities we have are both at the state and the federal level. And so in this paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in April of 2022 outlines those strategies and they include a couple of key things. I, I won't go into all of them, but one is humane staffing levels. We've had evidence for now two decades that when hospitals enact safe patient to nurse ratios, that patients are more likely to do better in those hospitals and nurses are more likely to stay employed in those hospitals. So it's a win-win. It's a win for patients, a win for nurses. Some of the other things that we can do are to make it easy for uh, advanced practice nurses to practice in the state. So if you make the state attractive for nurses to practice, that will mean more likely nurses will stay in Michigan, for example, and pursue graduate school. Right now, Michigan has one of the most restrictive practice laws in the country for advanced practice nurses. And then I think finally, a general investment in the pipeline. So making it easy for individuals to graduate, to apply to nursing schools, for us to hire nursing faculty, to keep expert nurses at the bedside, to teach our students. There's a variety of things we can do there to really expand the capacity to train nurses, particularly in the state of Michigan. So May is recognized as Mental Health Awareness Month, which you know seems really relevant to this conversation that we're having as it's also um, May 6th through the 12th is also National Nurses Week. So. Can you provide any resources that nurses can access or any, any support, any ways that anyone can support them when it comes to nurses and healthcare professionals taking care of their own mental health? Sure, well, first of all, I'm celebrating my 25th year in nursing this year, which is kind of exciting. Congratulations. And thank you, thank you. And it's been just an incredible journey. And the things I love about nursing back then are the things I love about nursing today, the flexibility, the ability to use my knowledge and skills to improve the lives of individual patients and their families and even communities. As, as I volunteered in my county and had retired nurses reactivate their licenses to give COVID vaccinations, right? I mean, what an incredible field. And we're, we're just on the cusp, I think, of the United States really recognizing everything that nursing does. So it's an incredibly exciting time to be in nursing. At the same time, it's a really challenging time. And workplaces can be tough. And home life doesn't always separate very cleanly when work is tough, right? And these things are coming together for so many of us. And so what I want to say to my nurse colleagues is I value you tremendously and I value your well-being tremendously. And it's okay to seek help just like we don't let a patient with diabetes not get their insulin, this is a time for you if you are having trouble, which is completely understandable, to get the professional expert help that you deserve and that you require. And so that can look different for different people. One is to talk to our peers and friends. I have really witnessed more and more people talking openly about their concerns hearing about their concerns and, and seeing the benefits 
of getting a quick referral, having a quick conversation, and then if more follow-up is needed is helpful. Most of our professional organizations, most nurses belong to a professional organization. So that's like I belong to the Oncology Nursing Society. And these groups have stood up a lot of resources specific to their fields to help nurses. So if you don't want to go through your employer channels, that's a great place to start is what are my colleagues in oncology nursing or critical care or ER nursing doing? Um, and that gets you outside of your, your employer. And again, your employers are, are pretty much all providing you confidential resources uh, and they're stepping those up. So that's really exciting. The last thing I would say is we want to watch what these uh, Breen Act uh, programs and services over the next year or so offer. I think it's going to be a really exciting way for nurses to engage in this conversation and contribute to our knowledge base because we're still learning about this. And the more that nurses engage in those kinds of assessment resources and those referral programs, we're actually going to build an evidence base just like we do for our patient care. And so it's really important and I appreciate all the nurses who have shared data with me, who have completed surveys. That's the way we get our way through this, just like any other patient crisis is through better data. And I hope that my colleagues will take up those opportunities in their local communities. Those are also so many great ways that nurses can really think through those things and um, find ways to access those supports. So as the podcast comes to a close, I like to ask each of our experts to give us one thing that they hope everyone remembers. So thinking about our broad Michigan Minds audience base, what is one thing that you hope everyone who's listening right now takes away from this conversation? I think that there's general recognition, but I hope that, that this conversation has heightened it, that nurses have delivered extraordinary care in really exceptional times. And it's time for us as a society to return that investment that nurses have made for centuries now. Uh, they've always put themselves behind. They've always put the patient and the community first. And now what we see very clearly from research at the University of Michigan and elsewhere is that nurses need our help. And there are policy strategies and other approaches we can do in our local communities, state and federal, to make the environment safer for nurses. And I encourage all of the listeners of this podcast to look at those and see what ways that they can contribute and share their voice to support nurses in their own communities. Thank you so much. We will link to the resources that Dr. Fries mentioned and also to the Suicide Prevention Lifeline information in the article and in the show notes. Please access that information if you need to. And Dr. Fries, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and share this incredibly important information. It's great to be with you all. Thanks so much and go blue. Go blue. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.